Hello, my friends, and welcome to another episode of The Informed Catholic. My name is Ned Jabbar, and this is going to be episode 228 of The Informed Catholic, episode 228. And I'm going to share with you, um, today I'm going to read um, a little, the infancy stories from both the Gospel of Matthew and Luke, and then uh, we're going to look at two articles and we're going to compare these two articles to see what it says about, um, actually, there might be also a third article we're going to look into, which is the two advents of Christ is called. So we're going to, you know, sort of like uh, do a little scriptural reading and we're going to do a little uh, scriptural study, you can say. So uh, I'm going to start off with um, the Advent prayer from uh that we've been using for um in our advent uh uh observance on the informed catholic so let's begin in the name of the father son and holy spirit be comforted be comforted my people your salvation comes quickly why with grief are you consumed for sorrow has stricken you i will save you fear not for i am the lord your god the holy one of israel your redeemer Drop do you heavens from above, and let the clouds rain the just one. O God, who gladdens us by the annual expectation of our redemption, grant that we, who now receive with joy your only begotten Son, as our Redeemer, may behold him without fear when he comes as our judge, even the same Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Okay, and here is the opening for the, um, before reading Holy Scripture, a prayer. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit and they shall be recreated and you shall renew the face of the earth. O God, who instructed the hearts of thy faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit, grant us by the same Holy Spirit to have right judgment in all things and ever rejoice in his consolation. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and forever. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now the hour of our death. Amen. St. <clears throat> Thomas Aquinas, pray for us. St. Jerome, pray for us. St. Athanasius, pray for us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. So, Let's start with the Gospel of Matthew. We'll go through the genealogy and the visit of the wise men. Okay? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Gospel of Jesus Christ according to St. Matthew. <clears throat> Chapter 1, the genealogy of Jesus Christ. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamara, 
and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amanadab, and Amanadab the father of Nehashan, Nehashan the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, by Rehab, and Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. <clears throat> and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asa, and Asa the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Johatham, and Johatham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jehoshaphat and his brothers, at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jehoshaphat was the father of Shelatel, and Shelatel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Obayat, and Obayat the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azur, and Azur the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achaim, and Achaim the father of Alayud, and Ayalayud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to, uh, to David were fourteen generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, fourteen generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, fourteen generations. The birth of Jesus the Christ. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child of the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to send her away quietly. But as he considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. And he took his wife, but knew her not until she had borne a son, and he called his name Jesus. The Visit of the Wise Men Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and have, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, 
he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will govern my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men and secretly ascertained from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. When they had heard the king, they went their way. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream, not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. The Escape to Egypt Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there till I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose, took the child and his mother by night, and they deported to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, was in a furious rage, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem, and all that had all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time which had ascertained from the wise men, which he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentations, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they were no more. Return from Egypt. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that the, Ar the Archelaus reigned over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there, and being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so now we read this part here, this interesting thing uh, of the Gospel, and we can look at a few things that are important to us. First of all, you notice that at the beginning, uh, Matthew, St. Matthew begins the gospel of Jesus, the genealogy, right? The, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. 
It could also be translated like the book of the Genesis of Jesus Christ. Um, Mark begins, beginning the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He focuses on those two. Over here, um, in a sense, I believe that's how he begin. I should double check because I don't want to misquote here. Hold on. Should always double check, right? <laughs> okay, we're almost there. The beginning, I'm sorry, the beginning of the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. All right, I apologize. The Son of God, but he begins with the beginning. And beginning and genealogy are both basically Genesis. So it's the new Genesis. All right, Mark begins the beginning of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Matthew begins the beginning of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, Abraham became, came before David, but he puts David because the Messiah is precisely through the line of the family of David. All Jews are descendants of Abraham, okay? But not all Jews are descendants of David. So that's important how Matthew wants to set it up. Then he goes with the genealogy and he starts right away from Abraham. And he goes down the list. Now, we mentioned before that he mentions four women. Four women in the genealogy, which is unusual in Middle Eastern cultures because usually it's a patriarchal family. And he focuses on one, a woman called uh, Tamara, who gave birth to two sons, Perez and Zehra, but uh, Tamara, and then uh, from both of them basically are supposed to, uh, she was married to at least two, two sons of Judah. Both of them died. And then he was supposed to promise her his third son who will father children in their place. And that's important to continue the line of the family. But because... She sort of had a bad luck. He decided to not, not keep his promise. So she tricked Judah by dressing as a prostitute along the road. And he fathered a children with her. Uh, long story short. Now, the, the one that continues the line was Perez. Perez, the father of Hezron. And it goes on from there. And then we get to um, Rahab from Jericho. Who, mar uh, who basically, um, someone by the name of Salmon. This is when during the 40 years wandering, after the 40 years under Joshua, they took Jericho and Rahab helped them. She was also considered a prostitute. Uh, wait for that truck to pass. All right. And then from then on, we go to Boaz. Boaz, who... Uh, fathered Obed by Ruth, Ruth, a non-Jewish, a non-Israelite, non-Jewish woman who came from the Moabites. The Moabites traced their origin to Lot, who got seduced uh, incestually by his, by, by his daughters. And then we go to David, David, the father of Solomon, by this one, her name is not even mentioned, Uriah, by the wife of Uriah. This is because of the embarrassment of David. She was a Hittite. And Uriah was a Hittite. And David uh, had an, uh, 
an adulterous affair with her, which led also to murder of Uriah. Why he mentions these women is because of the fact of the um, the scandalous talks about the, his mother Mary, the mother, the Our Lady. He's tr because the fact of trying to dismiss that this man could be the Messiah. They had to. Uh, Matthew is actually using a rabbinical argument here to try to fight against the enemies of Jesus. This is basically, you can see, it's a very Jewish gospel. This is why Matthew's gospel is placed first. Even though scholars want to say that Mark was was probably because the shortest. I don't necessarily think so. I think Mark's gospel, uh, and some scholars do think that, uh, this, um, this is not my idea, but this is basically what some of them say. It's a passion play. It's a passion gospel, beginning out of the baptism and going straight to his passion uh, it's meant for like sort of like an Easter meditation. Um, in a sense, that's basically why why it is. And we can see by Luke, Luke decides to use a different approach. He decides to go back to John the Baptist and him, his gospel uh, is very, very much more from a Greek-oriented, Roman-oriented mind, sort of doing an investigation. And as he says it, it's an investigation. He investigated everything, and he was part of the, the early Christian movement, and he was a disciple of St. Paul. Um, if we look at the footnotes, I'm using the Revised Standard Version, Didiac edition, and we have here at the bottom, you have commentary. Matthew, son of Alphaeus, was a Jewish tax collector working for the Romans. The Jews despised people of this profession, and nevertheless, our Lord called him to be an apostle. Tradition acknowledged him as the author of the first gospel. Some believe it was originally written in Aramaic or Hebrew and afterwards translated into Greek. This genealogy is divided into three lists confirming the three classical periods of Jewish history. Each list has 14 generations, a, mul uh, a multiple of seven, a sacred number. Three were also considered a perfect number and 14 is the numeric value of David's name. David's name, the letters in David's name add up to 14, which is very interesting. And 7 and 7 is 14. All right, 7 is the number of perfection, the seventh day God rested. 3 is also a number of perfection because it's the number of the Trinity. God is a triune God. And you can see like the, sim the symbolism here. The symbolism is very, very important when we, we, you know, to understand scripture because numbers, the Jews are very big on numbers. Uh, the, the, the meaning of numbers have a sacred meaning. Seven is the seven sacraments, seven days of the week, the seventh day God rested. And it goes on uh, here. Uh, the numeric value of David's name thus pointing to Christ as the perfect descendant of David. Christ is descendant of Abraham and David through Joseph, his foster father, and through Christ the promises God made to Abraham and David are fulfilled. Okay, four women are mentioned in the genealogy, all with unusual stories, thus preparing for the extraordinary role of Mary at the end of the genealogy. And of course, the Catechism of the Catholic Church uh, number 437. We're not going to go into that. Jesus means the Lord saves. Christ, like the Hebrew Messiah, means anointed one. 
the Messiah was expected to come as a king from the line of David. Okay, now before, and he goes into here about Mary's uh, pregnant, uh, being found pregnant. Before they came together, Mary was, Mary was a virgin of Christ's conception, which child of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit caused the virginal conception of Christ in the womb of Mary, which fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah and affirms the divinity of Christ. Christ chose Joseph to be the husband of Mary and the custodian of the Holy Family. So, we see here some very important meanings through uh, through this uh, gospel, and it's very important that we understand how it's set up. Now, let's go a little further here. Under the Mosaic Law, the punishment for adultery was death. Some hold that Joseph suspected Mary of adultery, but being a just man, decided to handle the matter privately. Others hold that Joseph understood the Holy Spirit was at work in her, which is what I believe, and thus thought that he no longer had a role in her life. Remember, it doesn't say here in anything, it doesn't say anywhere here that he suspected she committed adultery. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that at all. I think this is just secular society um, wanting to put their own uh, conclusion in it. It doesn't say that. It never says that he suspected she committed adultery. That kind of thought is not in there. And I don't like that. But I believe he believed her that she was telling the truth. But it doesn't say she told him what happened. Mary trusted that God will handle it. God will handle and bring Joseph around. And he did. All this was about faith, trusting. Joseph doesn't say he didn't, he didn't trust her. It doesn't say that she was he doesn't say in the text that she was unfaithful to, he believed her to be unfaithful to him. He doesn't say that at all. So, you know, this is why we as Catholics, we as Christians have to stop letting the outside world come in and put in their, their, their perverse interpretation to the text. It doesn't say that. And the fact that he wanted to put her away quietly only because he thought maybe he had no role, he had no part in her life, that he had no part in this. And the fact that also he probably believed that, you know, obviously he understood if whatever she was telling him, you know, he just needed to know from God, does he have a part in this? Does he have a part in her life? Does he have a part in this mystery, in this destiny, in this great event? And the, whole, and the whole angel came and told him, yes, you do have a part in this. You're going to be the guardian, the protector, the custodian. And I, and I truly believe that. All right. I read this. Now, um, also, we have to look into the fact of what the wise men mean here. This is an important event, right? Give me a minute. Okay. So. The angel of the Lord. The New Testament often records the important role angels play in the life and mission of Christ. Angels are messengers of God who offer God Christ's worship and protection. Often they announce the good news dream. God spoke to Joseph in a dream, just as he had he had to the patriarch Joseph. Uh, he, goes, he gives you here the uh, catechism and chapters here of Genesis. Let's continue otherwise. The name Jesus expresses his identity and his mission to save his people from 
their sins. Since his identity is divine, he can forgive sins. Christ reveals God's gift of mercy to sinners. The name Jesus is at the very heart of Christian prayer because to address Jesus in prayer is to recognize his divinity, saving power and omnipresence. Okay, now we'll continue here. Throughout salvation history, God prepared his people from, for the coming of the Christ. The Holy Spirit completed these preparations in Mary, God with us, the incarnation and birth of Christ as a man heralded in the presence of God among his people, a presence that endures until, this is the part about, um, until she, uh, he, she, he did not know her, he did not know her until she had become uh, born a son. Does that mean that there was any relationship sexual relationship after. It's a very tricky word, I understand. And maybe it's a very poor word in English. The Greek word translated as until points out what had not happened before, before this point, but implies nothing about future events. The church confesses the perpetual virginity of Mary. She was a virgin before, during, and after Christ's birth. This quoting from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, Articles 497 to 500. The identity of Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, was revealed in the stages, in stages, first to Mary and then to Joseph, then to the shepherds in Luke chapter chapter 2, verse 8, 20. We're going to read that soon. And then to the Magi and later to John the Baptist and then to the disciples. The mission of the church is to make Christ known to all nations. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. The shepherds represented, represented the poor and ignorant, while the Magi represented pagan believers and intellectuals. All are called to share in the gift of salvation in Christ's kingdom by receiving the good news and recognizing Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God and the King of all nations. This chapter reveals Christ's mission as the Davidic King established the kingdom of heaven. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. Herod the Great was not a Davidic king, but had been appointed by king by the Roman by the Romans. David was anointed king in Jerusalem, and Bethlehem is a small village about six miles south of, uh, uh, of the city of Jerusalem. Micah prophesied that the Messiah would be born there. The star, the Magi, began their spiritual journey motivated by the revelation of God manifested in nature. Catechism of the Catholic Church, chapter 439. And it goes on. After guiding the Magi through the Christ child, the purpose of the star had ended. Henceforth, the light of Christ himself guides the people of God. Okay, gold represented Christ's kingship, frankincense, his divinity, and myrrh, his humanity, especially his death. Okay, so we can see how this is all established. First, to Mary. But notice a lot was silent. It doesn't, doesn't even give us the visitation of the Annunciation in Matthew's Gospel. There's no Annunciation. But there's an Annunciation to, to Joseph, and that's important. And then, he doesn't tell us anything about this census, but the fact that he was born in Bethlehem. It doesn't even say first it happened in Nazareth, but he was born in Bethlehem. And then they, they came back from the flight 
to that stayed in Nazareth. But what was important in all this is his prophecy. He is a descendant of David. There's some people who think that they never went to, 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 to Bethlehem, that there was unnecessary for Joseph to go there. But I don't think so. Remember the prophecy. If God spoke to them, then God would open their hearts and their minds to the scriptures and to know where the Messiah is supposed to be born. Then you have these wise men who coming from the east, who followed the sign, who some, for some unbelievable, fantastic knowledge, these intellectual scientists, because they were astronomers, astronomer, astronomy and astrology were considered one and the same science back in those ancient days. And they followed, they followed the scriptures and the signs. They knew that events was happening in history. Messianic, the coming of the Messiah, expectation of the Messiah was very high back then because of the correlation of events that was taking place. Now, I'm sure there was a lot of disagreement. Some people didn't want to hear about it. Some people didn't care about it. Even the religious leaders probably didn't care much about it because when the wise men showed up in Jerusalem, what does it say? They were deeply troubled. I'll give you, I'll show you an example here. Um, hold on. Here. Okay. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, as it was written by the prophets. And you, O Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For you, for, for from you shall come a ruler who will govern my people Israel. And then Herod summoned the wise men and secretly ascertained from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search for, for the child, search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, Bring me word that I too may come and worship him. We obviously know it was a lie. He was planning to kill him. He wanted to stop the prophecy from happening. So all of Jerusalem was troubled. That would probably mean not so much the poor people, but they also the people knew of Herod's violent behavior, his many uh, murderous behavior. But at the same time, probably the intellectuals were very troubled by this. Because you notice later on when he kills the Christ, uh, tries to kill the Christ child by killing all the babies, he killed all the neighboring children in the towns. So he knew he wanted to get that job done well. He wanted to make sure there was no chance that this child survived. All right, let's go to Luke. Okay, so now we'll go, uh, we're going to read from Luke's gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ according to St. Luke. Dedication to Theopolis. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things which have been accomplished among us, just as they were delivered to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theopolis, 
that you may know the truth concerning the things which have been informed. The birth of John the Baptist foretold. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blamelessly. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, it fell to him by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer is heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he shall drink no wine, no strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, who stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you, and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things come to pass, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they wondered at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he made signs to them and, re and remained mute. And when his time of service had, was ended, he, was, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she hid herself, saying, Thus the Lord has done to me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among men. All right, so now the birth of Jesus Christ foretold. In the sixth month, 
the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and considered in her mind what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of, the son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I have no husband? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your kinswoman Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God nothing will be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Mary's visit, Mary visits Elizabeth and Mary's song of praise. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a city of Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greetings of Mary, the child leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the voice of your greetings came to my ears, the child in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was expected to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy, his mercy is on those who fear him. From generation to generation he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in, in the imagination of their hearts. And he has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of low degree. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped the, his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his posterity forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. The birth of John the Baptist. Now the time came for Elizabeth to be delivered, and she gave birth to a son. And her neighbors and kinsfolk heard that the Lord has shown great mercy to her. And 
they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they they have named him, and they would ha, uh, they would have named him Zechariah after his father, but his mother said, "Not so, he shall be called John." And they said to her, "None of your kin kindred is called by this name." And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he would have him call, uh, called. And he asked for a writing tablet, and wrote, and he wrote, "His name is John." And they all marveled, and immediately his mouth was opened, and his tongue loosened, and he and he spoke, blessing God, and fear and fear came, and fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about throughout through all the hill country of Judea, and all who heard them, and laid laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be will be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Zechariah's prophecy. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that he would, that he, that we should be saved from our enemies, from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy he promised to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us, that we, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And you, child, shall be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation to his people, in the forgiveness of their sins. Through the tender mercy of our God, when the day shall dawn upon us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death, and to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness till the day of his manifestation to Israel. The Birth of Jesus in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be enrolled. This was the first enrollment when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be enrolled, each to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be enrolled with Mary his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to be delivered. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. The Shepherds and the Angels And in that region there, was, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. <laughs> and the angel said to them, be, be not afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will come to all the people. 
For to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is called Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, laying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem. And see this thing which the Lord has, which which the Lord has, which, sorry. Let us see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the sayings which had been told concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at on what the shepherds told them. But Mary kept all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for, for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. Jesus is circumcised and named. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses. They brought... Hold on, sorry. Law of Moses. want to make sure the right page here. Sometimes they stick. They brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as is written in the law of the Lord. Every male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And inspired by the, by the Spirit, he came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And the father and and his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is spoken against. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. And throughout many hearts, and throughout, and the thoughts, I'm sorry, and the thoughts of many hearts, may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanul, of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age, and having lived with her husband seven years from her virginity, and as a widow till she was eighty-four, she did not depart from the temple, whispering, uh, worshipping with fasting and prayer night and day, and coming to the very hour she gave thanks. The Lord God and 
uh, she gave thanks to the Lord God and spoke of him to all who were looking for uh, for the redemption of Jerusalem. And coming to the, to the very hour when she gave thanks to God and spoke to, to him, to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem, they returned to Nazareth. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. The boy Jesus in the temple. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the company, they went a day's journey, and they saw, and they sought him among their kinfolk and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking the uh, asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his and his answers. And when they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been looking for you anxiously. And he said to them, How is it that you sought me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the sayings which he spoke to them. And he went down with them, and came to Nazareth, and was obedient to them and his mother, and kept all these things in her, in, in her heart. And his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Well, uh, a lot is here. A lot more, I would say, in Luke than it is in um, Matthew, right? Well, they're both equal both approaching it a little differently. Now, who is this Theopolis that Luke mentions here in chapter 1, verse 3? While the identity of the person is uncertain, the name means loved by God, a general greeting that could refer to any number of Christian community. All right, we could say that, but what if he was a bishop? What if he was one of St. Paul's students? That could be that too as well. Doesn't linger on it, but the name means loved by God. Fine. Okay, I can accept that. But he seems to be talking to an individual. And I think it's unfair if we assume he's talking pluralistically like a uh, plural, like referring to several people. That's that's something I don't I don't think I can agree with. Elizabeth was a kinswoman of Mary. As the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth uh and you know and Elizabeth, John the Baptist was a relative of Christ and a priest. Luke begins his gospel with an account of the new man. I'm sorry, of the account of the events leading up to Christ's birth and his life, often called the infancy narrative. He places the narratives within a historical context and includes details that no other gospel reports, including the con the conception and birth of John the Baptist. Very important person, of course, John the Baptist. We know that now. We notice that he also he goes right uh, into he, historical context. He puts it in Herod's time. 
Herod was king. And a lot of people now they're saying that Luke was wrong. Luke got a lot of things wrong because he was a non-Jew. But I, I disagree with that. Okay, then it goes on uh, from there. The visit of the archangel Gabriel to Zechariah anticipates in some ways the story of the Annunciation, which appears later in the chapter. Both Zechariah and Mary uh, were dev uh, both Zechariah and Mary were devout righteous, but both were told by the angel of miraculous conceptions, and their the role uh, with the child that will play in, in salvation history. And both were troubled by the message. The primary difference, however, is that Zechariah doubted due to the due to his wife's advanced age, when as Mary believed the angel, although she was perplexed as to how this conception would take place. Whereas Zechariah asked for a sign, Mary made no such request and would be given a sign anyway. The angel Gabriel uh, announced both the birth of John, who was the last and generally prof, uh, generally, uh, generally recognized as a, as a great prophet, the coming of Messiah and the birth of Jesus himself. All right. The angel Gabriel announced both the birth of John, who was the last and greatest of all the prophets, and of the coming of the Messiah and the birth of Jesus. They had no child. Okay, the word portrayed in the Old Testament, okay, referring to Elizabeth because Elizabeth was barren. People thought if you were barren back then, it meant that you committed some kind of sin, so God shut your womb up, you know, that you would not have any children. But that's not the case. He did, he married, Elizabeth was barren, but it was also to, to prove a great miracle that life, that God can still control life. It's interesting. Not necessarily control life, but God can produce life where there is no life. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie, this miniseries, Jesus of Nazareth, where you have an actress playing Elizabeth with Olivia Hussey playing the Blessed Mother. God gives life where there was no life. And he can also produce life like Mary, who has life in her, but can produce life without the actions of man, without the actions of, of human inter, uh, human relations. And that's the purpose of what we you know, why our, our religion is a religion of conception, a religion of life. That's why we are a pro-life people. And for any Catholic to say that they can be pro-choice and be Catholic, they're wrong because our religion is a religion about life. It is a life testimonial religion. It is a pro-life religion. We are a pro-life people. Our faith begins with the conception of John the Baptist and the incarnation conception of our Lord. But these, you know, these people who claim to be true Catholics and want to want to be um, anyone, anyone, regardless if you're Catholic or Protestant or Orthodox, you can't be, you can't be uh, about for abortion and claim to be a Christian. It's impossible. Okay, they had no child. This is referring to Elizabeth and Zechariah. In a world portrayed in the Old Testament, childlessness was often viewed with shame as a sign of disfavor with God, like I just said earlier. Like several key women of the Old Testament, Elizabeth would be blessed with a child through divine intervention preceded by an angelic message despite her 
barrenness and old age, the church recognized that infertility is a cross for many couples, but cautions that um, that couples may use only morally licit means in order to achieve pregnancy or receive children into their family. Okay. Hour of incense in the temple. That's when Zechariah was serving his performing his priestly duties in the temple. Priests would burn incense and offer prayer during the morning and evening sacrifice, also known as the hour of prayer for most priests of that time to burn incense in the temple was a, was a, um, conceal a lifetime honor. John, the name means the name. Okay. So Zechariah obviously, probably was shocked that he was chosen to serve to do this. He probably didn't get a chance to because there were so many priests, so many sons of Aaron. I mean, I think his was the eighth order. I think if we were, we're going to check out that article, um, maybe 24, 28 orders. Fantastic that there were so many and who, and he was going to serve. He was going to have the honor to perform that duty. And I think it was the evening duty he was performing. Then uh, John, the name of John, I always wanted to know what the name John means. The name means the Lord has shown favor. God has shown favor. The Lord has shown favor. Has shown favor, reflecting the favor of God, the favor of God had bestowed upon the once childless parents. So the name has a meaning. Okay, now... Uh, this is from verses, we're dealing here with verses, chapter 1, verse 14 to 17. The angel foretold the prophetic mission of John the Baptist um, and would carry out, filled with the Holy Spirit. John was pr prepared for his prophetic role by grace even before his birth, even before his birth. Remember that. The source of his grace would be Christ himself, who would be conceived by the same Holy Spirit in the womb of his own mother in the spirit and power of Elijah. Okay, the spirit of power, because he was, he was supposed to be the Elijah of the new age, a people prepared. In the Old Testament, Malachi prophesied that a prophet like Elijah would return to preach repentance and reunite the tribes of Israel and heal div uh, divided families and prepare the people for the coming of the Messiah. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, and chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. John the Baptist was not Elijah reincarnated. We don't believe in reincarnation. Rather, he carried out a mission that brought to completion that of Elijah. This is the Catechism of the Catholic Church, chapter, uh, Article 423, Article 696, Article 716, and Article 718, Article 724 and Articles 2684. All right, the name, uh, chapter 1, verse 19 of Luke, Gabriel. The Hebrew name means, my strength is God. He had been, uh, he had been the archangel who later appeared to Mary to announce that she was chosen to be the mother of the Messiah. Um, this is Catechism of the Catholic Church, Article 335, and Article 4, uh, 430. And then uh, here, we go here to chapter 125, when Elizabeth had to hit herself. 
Take away my reproach among men. Elizabeth's infertility was viewed by many at that time as a sign of disfavor with God. Therefore, her pregnancy was a sign of God's blessing. Catechism of the Catholic Church, Article 2374. Okay, now we're going to go to the Annunciation now. Chapter 1, verse 26 to 38. The account of the Annunciation manifests some basic truth about Christ. He is the Son of God, conceived with a human nature by a virgin through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Incarnation was accomplished according to the divine plan, which included the free consent of Mary. Catechism of the Catholic Church, Article 723. Through her selfless yes, Mary became the model of faith, generosity, and complete conformity to God's holy will. The angel's words of greeting to Mary are the basis of for the first lines of the Hail Mary. The Annunciation is the first joyful mystery of the Rosary, as well as the basis for the, angel uh, for the Angelus. Articles, uh, Catholic, Catechism of the Catholic Church, Article 144, 484, 490, 494, 497, Article 723, and 2701. This is the articles in the Catechism of the Catholic Church if you want to look them up. One twenty uh, verse verse one chapter one verse twenty eight hail. Now this is interesting. Pay attention to this. Hail, full of grace. The Greek kadi kadi means rejoice. Yes, it does. Full of grace. The Greek katatomene katarka kere. I'm sorry. I'm going to try to pronounce it right. Ke kere. Kekere tonemi indicates that Mary has been and continues to be filled with grace of God, which is a most fitting condition to be the mother of God. Kekere tonemi also leads us to the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception, which holds that Mary was conceived in the fullness of grace without the stain of original sin through the merits of her son's redemption. Long recognized in the Catholic tradition, this dogma was proclaimed infallible by Blessed Pius IX in Infallible Dios. Okay, I, if you go back to some previous episode, I do talk about it. She is, her soul, her soul was naturally, yes, she was conceived by a father and mother through natural means. She is a creature like you and me. But through the, um, the consideration of God, through the, through the power of the Trinity, she was blessed. Her soul was preserved, preserved from the stain of, of the fall of the original sin that Adam and Eve committed. She's human in every possible way, in every way except the stain of original sin, which was a special consideration, a gift. And this was so she can be the mother of the Lord, so she can be the mother of the Christ. Now, if you're going to say that all have sinned and fallen from the grace of God, that is absolutely true, which Paul says, but... 
Think about your Lord. Think about your G the Lord Jesus Christ. God wanted to prepare a special womb, a womb that would that would receive his son who was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, Mary has a deep relationship with the Trinity and this redemption she received from her son. She was redeemed by God. Her soul was preserved and prepared. So she was in a state of grace. She was born in a state of grace, given this consideration for this very mission, a mission she was given. She was predestined. Yes, predestined to be the mother of her son. So she would be a special tabernacle, a womb, and therefore, she had to be in the state. This state would keep her, would, would, would set her apart from other women. And this, some, this is something she had to. Now, people, Protestants say that she had other sons and daughters. I, I would tell them to look carefully into that. If that was true, then why did our Lord give the protection of his mother, the care of his mother, to John the Apostle at the foot of the cross? Her children had a duty and obligation. If she had other children, then she would have. They would have a duty and obligation to take care of her, regardless of what her faith in her. If even if they didn't believe, which some want to say they didn't believe, but that's she didn't have other children. The word I I know this. I come from a Middle Eastern background, and the word your your cousins are your extended brother and sisters. There is no word for cousin. There's extended family. We call them ex extended relations. Okay? I mean, if think about it. I refer to my cousin, okay, which, we ref which is correct in English, which the word means extended family, as a son of my uncle, Ibn Ammi. Okay? Your uncle is like your extended father. Okay? English has all these detailed words. Greek has all these detailed ways of referring to your family. But Hebrew and Arabic, and most likely, I'm quite certain, Aramaic, doesn't have those the, the, the same expression. The expression is different. Your aunt is like your extended mother. Okay, your household, your clan, your relations. The word would probably be correct, maybe relations. But extended household, I think, is the more correct word because that's how they, they live. They live practically like all brothers and sisters. But people, for some reason, in the Protestant world, because of their anathema towards, uh, towards devotions to Mary and because they feel uncomfortable because Protestantism... Uh, doesn't bother to go into deeper theology and deeper understanding. You know, they don't bother to look into historical Christianity. And I, I am, when I mean historical Christianity, I mean biblical Christianity, which uh, means, you know, have, has rituals and traditions and customs and devotions and things that honor the saints, which are our brothers and sisters in faith. But, you know, Hey, you know, it's it's the way it's the way it is, unfortunately, with Protestantism. Okay. Uh now let's continue here. Okay, so she 
she was always in a state of grace. She was born in a state of grace. She was in a natural state of grace. Also leads us to the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception, okay, which we went through this already. All right, so if you want to look up these articles, uh, Catechism of the Catholic Church, 490, 493, Article 722, and Article 2676. If I forgot to mention them, I'll mention them again. Uh, the name Jesus, uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 31. Jesus, the Hebrew name means literally the Lord, Yahweh saves, which emphasizes both Christ's identity and his mission. Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, through his, through his person, his words and his actions, is the fullness of God's revelation to people and his sacrifice on the cross merits the salvation of the world. Catechism of the Catholic Church, Article 430, 431, 435, 2812. Uh, now it goes into it goes into a whole bunch of stuff here. We're going to go through. Um, okay, his father David. Although Christ was not Joseph's natural son under Jewish law, as we already know, he was considered his son. Um, his son, uh, you know, his son by uh, through adoption, but no one had to know that. Uh, descendant of David. Like his father, house of Jacob. This refers to the whole kingdom. House of Jacob refers to the whole kingdom of Israel, representing the 12 sons of Jacob, which had been transformed by conquest, exile, and assimilation into Gentile lands. The new kingdom, founded by Christ, will be the work of the Holy Spirit. Okay, Catechism of the Catholic Church, Article 559 and 709. How the, you know, now Mary's question chapter 1 verse 34 how shall this be be since i have no husband translated from the greek i do not know man this statement points to mary's virginity the incarnation is a divine work that is beyond human comprehension okay article catholic of the catechism of the catholic church article 484 497 and 511 Note how Gabriel referred to all three persons of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, the Most High, the Son of God, overshadowing you. The Greek episkesie is the, is the same word used in the subduage to speak of how God overshadowed the tabernacle and established his presence in Israel. Episkesion Exodus chapter 40, verse 35. The term also appears in the transfiguration of Luke Episcazion, Luke chapter 9, verse 34, and Peter's healing shadow, Episcazie, Acts chapter 5, verse 15. The theophany of the cloud and light are often used in Scripture to indicate an unveiling, the glory of God. With God, nothing will be impossible. How God can accomplish the work that got that go beyond the realm of human possibility mary's faith acknowledges the infinite power of god we too recognize the omnipotence of god in the mass when the priest addresses god as the almighty ever-living god catechism of the catholic church article 269 276 437 505 507 and 697 this is very interesting Overshadow, the Greek word. I want to stick with this a little bit. 
the Most High, overshadow you. The Greek word episkesie is okay, which is from the Subduagent, the Greek version of the Old Testament, to speak how God overshadowed the tabernacle and established his presence in Israel. Episkesian. Okay. The term also appears in the Transfiguration. Episkesian. The same word that uh, in uh, when God's overshadowed the tabernacle in uh, Exodus. And Luke chapter 9, verse 34, which is also when the overshadowing of the cloud. Peter's healing, when he Peter was healing people in Acts chapter 5, verse 15, is episkesie. Okay. And the theopony of the cloud and light overshadowed in scripture indicate an unveiling of the glory of God. With God, nothing is impossible. These are things you should we should look into. All right, in the future. It's very interesting because the Holy Spirit shall come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. This is remarkable. I mean, I think it's beautiful that we're, we're able to look into this. How can this be? Since, okay, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. This is from verse 35. The Holy Spirit shall come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born. Okay. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And the child to be born will be called the Son of God. All three Trinity, the, of the persons of the Trinity. Holy Spirit, Most High, Son of God, all mentioned there. And the overshadowing, the episcassie, overshadowing. She's a tabernacle. She's a tabernacle. <laughs> Okay, so uh, okay, let me let's go here. Handmaid of the Lord. Uh, in giving her assent and obedience to God, Mary made a total gift of herself. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary's word here are of total trust and devotion to the will of God. She not only accepted God's plan, but wholeheartedly embraced it in her own life unsullied by even a single sin. Mary dedicated herself completely to her son and his mission. The father of mercies will that the incarnation should be preceded by assent on a part of the predestined mother. So, so that just as a woman had to share in the coming of death, so also should a woman contribute to the coming of life. Mary is thus regarded as the new Eve. As St. Irenaeus explained, the knot of Eve's disobedience was untied by Mary's obedience. What the virgin Eve bound through her disobedience, disbelief, Mary loosened with her faith. I guess you ever heard, uh, I think it's a German devotion, Mary untire of knots, untire of sin. It's, a, it, 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 it's something to look into. There is a devotion to that. Pope Benedict was devoted to that. Okay, now the meeting of Mary and Elizabeth. This is an important one here. Uh, chapter 1, verse 39 to 56. The remarkable meeting of Mary and Elizabeth teaches us about the person of Christ and the prophetic role of John the Baptist, who leaped in Elizabeth's womb. Elizabeth referring to Mary as the mother of my Lord and affirmed that the Christ child was a fulfillment of all that God had promised through the prophets by the virtue of Christ's child when within her 
the reunion of Mary with her cousin Elizabeth, represents the ultimate visit of God to his people. This meeting, uh, mutual greeting of the two women, called the visitation, is the second joyful mystery of the rosary. Catechism of the Catholic Church, Article 148, Article 422, Article 523. Blessed are you among women. These words form the second sentence of the Hail Mary. Mary is blessed because her faith manifested uh, her total commitment to her calling. Through her faith-filled, yes, the Son of God came into the world as mother of the Christ. She is the mother of all those redeemed in her Son, who from the members of his mystical body, the Church, Mary is also the Ark of the New, Co new Covenant. For just as the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament represented the dwelling of God on earth among his people, Mary herself bore the incarnate Son of God in her womb. So, Jesus, remember, Emmanuel, God is with us. God is with us. Through the Eucharist, he is constantly with us. That is, his presence, his presence is with us. Mary is the new Ark of the Covenant, and therefore Jesus made his presence known through the consecration of the Eucharist, his body, blood, soul, and divinity. And we need the Eucharist in order so we can constantly f feed our souls, not necessarily our body, but we need the grace. The gra our souls need his constant grace so we can always be a faithful people. And Mary is with us also because she keeps interceding. All right. Um, I don't know if I gave you the articles, but I'm going to do it now. Okay, hold on. Uh, the Old Testament represents the dwelling of God on earth among his people. Mary herself bore the incarnate Son of God in her womb. Article, uh, Catechism of the Catholic Church, 523-717. And Article 2676 in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Mother of my Lord. Okay. Elizabeth's words identify both Christ's divinity and Mary's divine motherhood. She is the mother of God, our mother as well, because of her intimate cooperation with her son. The beautiful tradition of the rosary consisting of the contemplation of the mysteries of Christ's incarnation, public ministry, death, and resurrection was developed. Some of these mysteries are celebrated in the liturgical feasts dedicated to Mary to Mary, including among them is the Immaculate Conception, which is on December 8th, and the Mother of God, January, January, 1st, January 1st, coming up soon, and the Assumption, August 15th. Other prayers, including the Memra and the Regina Chali, emphasize the different tenets of the life of Christ as related to Mary. Okay, our Catechism of the Catholic Church, Article 448, 495. 967, 975, 2,677. These things are, these, these are all important to us. Okay. Uh, Canticle, uh, Mary, the Magnificat, chapter 1, verse 46 to 56. The Canticle of Mary called the Magnificat from the first word of the Latin translation as a prayer included in the evening prayer of the Liturgy of the Hours, the official prayer of the Church, the Magnificat is a, is a song of both of Mary, 
mother of God, and the entire people of God. For the grace received and the salvation won for us through Christ, reflecting Hannah's canticle in First uh, Samuel chapter one, verse chapter um, sorry, first. I mean, first book of Samuel chapter two, verse one to ten. The Magnificent expresses praise and joys, calls God's faithfulness to his people, and affirms the virtue of humility and mercy. The prayer magnifies God for, for what he has done for Mary, his humble and faithful handmaiden. The Magnificat is a wonderful testimony to, to Mary as our hope and advocate. Her great sanctity and singular role in the redemption leads to the prophecy, all generations will call me blessed. The prophetic words of the Magnificat are fulfilled each time the faithful honor her with the words, Blessed are you among women. In the Hail Mary, um, Catechism of the Catholic Church, Article 2097, 2097, 2097, Articles 2465, Articles 2619, Articles 2622, Articles 2675, Articles 2682. Okay, now we get to the Nativity of John the Baptist, chapter 1, verse 57. The Nativity of John the Baptist is celebrated each year on June 24th. Mark that down. This is the only person besides Christ and Mary whose birth is a liturgical celebration. The church fulfills it. The church fulfills the prophecy. No man, no greater man born of woman than John the Baptist. Okay. It was customary for Jewish... Uh, hold on, let me see if I get that right. Unless I skipped it here. Sometimes the pages stick. Sorry about that. Okay. I guess so. Hold on. Okay. And then uh, here, uh, chapter 1, verse 59-66. It was customary for Jewish families to name their male children at the time of their circumcision, which occurred on the eighth day after birth. The act of circumcision represented the initiation of the child into the covenant of Israel. Okay, in the Canticle of Zechariah, which is called the Benedictus, which is also celebrated in the Liturgy of the Hours in the Morning. All right, chapter 1, verse 67 to 80. The Canticle of Zechariah, called the Benedictus, from the first word of the Latin translation, praises the faithfulness of God to his covenant with Israel. The Benedictus is recited in the morning prayer, the Liturgy of the Hours, the official prayer of the Church. Okay, um, Catechism of the Catholic Church, Article 422 and 717. Okay. Um, okay, the chapter 1, verse 73, the oath which he swore, God was faithful to the promises of Abraham. To Abraham, even through the fulfillment required the sacrifice of his only son. Catechism of the Catholic Church, 706. This is looking back at chapter 1, verse 70, 73 of Luke. Chapter 2, verse 1 and 7. The fulfillment required of the census. Joseph, as his descendant of David, needed, his, needed to register in Bethlehem, the birthplace of David. This passage reaffirms that Joseph and therefore Christ was of the line of David, and that Christ was born in Bethlehem, thus fulfilling the prophecy of Micaiah. Okay, and then um, Micaiah chapter Micah, Micah 
chapter Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. And then the article here from the Catechism of the Catholic Church is 488 and 525. Chapter 2, verse 7, the firstborn. The term does not mean that imply that Mary had more children after uh, after Christ. Rather, it, it was a designation given to a woman's first male child and was accompanied by certain rights, inheritances, and social standing. Okay, this is um, chapter 2, verse 7. Okay, social standing. These are always, uh, it's part of any cultural society. You're going to find that. The church's teaching on Mary's perpetual virginity before, during, and, and after the birth of Christ is a tenet of faith and affirms the absolute and miraculous initiative of God in bringing about the incarnation. The birth of Christ is the third joyful mystery of the rosary and celebrated as the feast of the nativity or Christmas, a swaddling clothes, the, uh, the fabrics that were used to wrap a newborn in such a way that prevented them from moving their arms or legs uh okay and, and feeding through a um a feeding through her for animals here okay the manger is referring to the manger sorry okay we've gone through a lot here and um there's more we're gonna you know there's obviously okay i want to focus on this one here mary pondered these things in, in her heart mary kept her kept all these things in her heart mary pondered she did not yet fully understand. Luke chapter 2, verse 51. Through prayerful meditation, we can come to a greater understanding of the mysteries of the faith. Some scholars consider this verse as evidence that the infancy stories of Christmas may have been told to Luke by Mary herself. I totally agree. Catechism of the Catholic Church, chapter um, article 94, and article 2599. Christ was circumcised on the eighth day. That's part of Jewish custom. Now, I want to focus on the um, the part here uh, on the um, the finding of the Christ child in the temple. Uh, now, here, let's see. Yeah. Here, hold on. Chapter 2, verse 41 to 52. The Passover, which begins on the 15th day of the Jewish month of Nisan, is a feast that commemorates the freedom of the Jews from slavery in Egypt. At the time of Christ, all Jewish men were required to make a pilgrimage to the temple in Jerusalem. This is why I'm saying that Jim Bishop, in his book, he seems to uh, overlook this part that Joseph could not have been uh, like. He was acting like he saw the temple for the first time. He must have seen it many times over as a boy, a few times at least, you know, to take part in the Passover. Okay. Uh, required every to make a pilgrimage to the temple in Jerusalem. The men often brought their families and traveled in caravans with other families, with men and women, traveling in separate groups and various children and groups. It was within the, this arrangement that Christ's absence from the caravan was not immediately noticed. Christ's response of being found in the temple indicated that he understood his identity, the Son of God, and his mission to redeem humanity. This incident points to the passion that would occur in the holy city of Jerusalem. Joseph and Mary continued to accept their son's mission with humble faith. Christ's three days in the temple can also be seen as a prefiguration 
of his three days in the tomb before his resurrection. Catechism of the Catholic Church, Article 534, Article 583, and Article 2599. Okay, and then we'll hear... Uh, hold on. Okay, now chapter 2, verse 51 to 52. Here again, a scant of couple sentences describe the long stretch in his life. Christ, in this instance, the period from about age 12 to perhaps age 30, scholars refer to this span as the hidden years of Christ, since so little is said or known about his activities during that time. It would appear that he lived an unassuming and ordinary life throughout those 18 years. Thus, he provided us with a model for making our own our ordinary lives holy and pleasing to God. Catechism of the Catholic Church, Article 471, Article 472, Article 517, Article 531, and Article 2599. And this is where we're going to end it here. This is this part here, we're going to end it, but we're going to continue with the articles now. What I'm about to read to you. Now, these are two articles I've already uh, kind of like read to you before, dealing with Christ's birth, but it's not so much about December 25th, is the historical um, reality of Christ's birth I want to focus on, and the reality of the incarnation as something that's very important for us Christians. I think a lot of times, a lot of priests just don't, when during the homilies, especially this time of the year, it's very important that people believe. I mentioned before, if people, it, you know, the Pew Research said that half of Catholics don't believe in the real presence of the Eucharist. Well, if they don't believe in the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist, do they really believe in the Incarnation? That's another question here. The Word becoming flesh. If they don't believe in it, then in the, in the real presence, then what do they believe? If they, you know, can we honestly say that they believe in Jesus being God, that Jesus is truly God? And that's the question I want to focus on here. The article here says, was Christ actually born on December 25th? Okay, well, this part here, the historical context is uh, focus on Zechariah's priesthood. St. Luke relates the announcement. This article is by Dave Armstrong. St. Luke related the announcement of the birth of St. John the Baptist to his elderly parents, St. Zechariah and St. Elizabeth. Zechariah was the priest of the class of Abijah. That's his order. The class of 24 priestly orders. It's broken up into 24 classes. This is traced back to Nehemiah chapter 12, verse 17. Each class served one week in the temple twice a year. Okay? Uh, Joseph Henrik Friedlip has established that the priestly class of Abijah would have been on du duty during the second week of the Jewish month of Tishri, the week of the Day of Atonement, or in our calendar between September 22nd and 30th. While on duty, the archangel Gabriel informed Zechariah that he and Elizabeth would have a son, which is in Luke chapter 1, verse 5 to 24. Thereupon, they conceived John, they would have conceived John, who after presumably 40 weeks in the womb would have been born at the end of June. For this reason, 
we celebrate the Nativity of St. John the Baptist on June 24th. St. Luke also recorded how the angel Gabriel told Mary that Elizabeth was six months pregnant with John. Luke chapter 1, verse 36, which means the Annunciation occurred on March 25th. We celebrate nine months from March 25th or six, six months from June 24th. This renders the birth of Christ on December, the week of the 25th, our Christmas. So the question is here for most people would be, is this, you know, I mean, you know, what, what can we say about this? Is that Jesus' life is historical. His birth is historical. His presence on earth was historical. Therefore, therefore, the church is proving this, that it's historical, that everything that has happened is historical. The Holy Spirit proves it's historical. The Holy, the Holy Spirit has his hand in all this. God has his hand in all this. Now we continue a little bit further. Shem, uh, Shemaru Talman, professor of Emeritus in the Bible Department at Hebrew University in Jerusalem and a top uh, scroll scholar in 1958 published in-depth study of the temple's rotating assignment of priests from First uh, Chronicles chapter 24, verse 7 and the Qumran skulls to see the assignment during the New Testament times. It shows definitively that Zechariah served as a temple priest in Luke chapter 1, verse 8, in September. His wife Elizabeth conceived late in September, as the Archangel Gabriel said in Luke chapter 1, verse 24, and afterward remained in seclusion for five months. Church tradition is that her son, John the Baptist, was conceived on September 23rd. It is commonly believed, and I have thought this myself, that Christians made the date of Christmas to correspond to Roman holidays so as to wipe them out of uh, Father Saunders, uh, wipe them out. Father Saunders observed, the Romans did celebrate Saratonolia between December 17th and the 23rd, commemorating the winter solstice of December 30th, but Christmas does not fit in the time frame. What about the birthday of the unconquered son? Well, okay, that's all this pagan stuff. I really don't care. Here go, he goes on to note that we have record, records of celebrations of Christmas on December 25th from Saint, from Pope Saint Telesaporus in the year 125 to 136 and the seventh Bishop of Rome, Saint Telesaporus, aid Telephius, no, Theophilus, Say uh, uh, AD 115 to 181. Bishop of Caesarea, St. Halapatus, one year, year 170 to 240. Pope Liberius, uh, 352 to 66, uh, 366 AD. And St. Gregory of Nazanias, year 389. And St. Ambrose in the year 397. 389, St. Nazanias, Nazanias and St. Ambrose in uh, the year 397. The Romans celebrated the winter solstice in this, on December 25th in the Julian calendar and at length he concludes Christmas was celebrated December 25th prior to any pagan celebration on the same date. The early date provided by historical evidence of the Roman celebration 
uh, of Sol Invictus in the year 274 by the Roman Emperor Aurelian. Okay, so the point is, is that the Christians have had their practices for centuries. I mean, for, for a while now, not necessarily centuries, but they've had it for quite some time. And therefore, it doesn't really fit in to use this as an argument. Well, what I'm trying to say here is we see that Luke correlates everything to around Zacharias's priesthood, his calendar, the calendar, the liturgical calendar of the temple uh, of Herod's time. All right. If Luke tells us that Gabriel went to Mary in basically, um, uh, what do you call the sixth month? And we go back here. All right. And we know we counting from that time. It tells us here that the, that, that Zachariah's order served twice a week. All right. And then therefore, if we look closely, what he says here. All right. The Abijah, uh, the, the priestly order class of Abijah would have been on duty during the second week of the Jewish month of Tishri, the week of the Day of Atonement, or, you know, or we call it September 22nd. Okay? So that means, uh, uh, that means it was Tishri. That means when, when, uh, the sixth month, uh, the sixth month when the angel Gabriel was sent to, um, to Mary, all right, which means by the Annunciation occurred March twenty fifth to celebrate the nine months. Um, nine uh, was sent was sent to Mary. The Annunciation take place occurred March twenty fifth. Nine months after, uh, from uh, nine months nine months from March twenty fifth, or six months from June twenty fourth, rendering the birth of Christ on December twenty fifth. So. We, we have a historical context. This is all here. The problem is, is that we should, we should, we should encourage this. I don't know why priests, bishops, cardinals don't do enough to try to encourage, encourage this, encourage this kind of thing. This is important for our, for our belief. All right. So let's, let's uh, leave this article here and go to, I want to check out this other article. This is also from the National uh, Catholic Register. Was Jesus born? When was Jesus born? Italian researcher puts Christ's birth in December 1st, 1 BC. An interview with researcher Liber uh, Lib uh, Liberato Di Caro of the Institute of Crystallography uh, of, the, of the National Research Council in Brie, Italy. A Christmas, as Christmas approaches, debates often arise over when exactly Jesus was born. Did the nativity really happen during the winter in Bethlehem uh, 2,020 years ago? Recent research, uh, rec recent research of a group of time researchers suggests that it did. All right. Uh, Liberato Di Chero of the Institute of, of Crystallography of the National Research Council in, in, in Bari, Italy, was led 
who led the research and proposed that the date of Jesus' birth can be ascertained through an understanding of the Jewish pilgrimages that took place at the time and how their connections with Mary's visit to Elizabeth. Mary's reaction to Elizabeth expecting John the Baptist and the death of Herod the Great. Point two, the date of Jesus' birth taking place in December 1 BC. He explains his findings in this interview with the Registrar, the first of series of DeCaro, uh, of series with DeCaro, who also investigated astronomical, astronomical events of the star Bethlehem, visible at the time of Jesus' birth and the true date of Christ's crucifixion and resurrection. Uh, the DeCaro, Dr. DeCaro, your research shown that there were there are valid historical calendar and astronomical reasons to place the nativity during the winter of 1 BC. Can you explain how you came to this empirical conclusion? My studies on the chronology of Jesus' life are the results of fruitful collaboration with Professor Fernando Lagresa of the Department of Humanistic Studies at the University of Salerno. First of all, it is useful to recall that the Hebrew calendar is a lunar lunar calendar. Twelve lunar months lasts 11 days less than a solar year. So, 11 days times three equals about a month. Therefore, to, rely, to, to realign the Hebrew calendar with the seasons is needed to add a 13th month about every three years. At the end of the year, that falls in early spring. The year with uh, 13 months is called uh, Ambolusimic. <laughs> it's the word on it I don't use. I'm sorry. As well as this premise, it also is important to remember that the historical reconstruction of the events that happened in the life of Jesus is not the main reason why the gospel was written. Nevertheless, they contain very compelling chronological information. Think, for example, the birth of Jesus at the beginning of winter. How can this information be deduced directly from the canonical Gospels? When you think about it, if the chronological record in the the Luke the in the Saint Luke's Gospel that Elizabeth was pregnant in the sixth month at the time of the Annunciation is related to the temp temporal frequency of the pilgrimage feast in Jerusalem, this becomes very important regarding the gospel period of the year when Jesus would have been born. In fact, three pilgrimages took place, one at Passover, another, the Jewish Pentecost, and 50 days after, which was 50 days after Passover, and the third, the Feast of Tabernacles, six months after Passover. Therefore, the maximum period that could elapse between the two successive pilgrimages was six months from the Feast of Tabernacles to the following Passover, or seven months according to the Imbalamasic uh, year. Um, it's a word I really wish I could pronounce. I'm going to have to look that up. Luke notes how Joseph and Mary were pilgrims in according with the Mosaic Law in Luke chapter 2, verse 41 which required a pilgrimage to Jerusalem on the three feasts previously mentioned. What is the significance of the pilgrimage? 
It is therefore entirely plausible to assume that if there have been pilgrimage of feasts between the annunciation of the angel, the angel to Zechariah, that Elizabeth would give birth to John the Baptist, and the annunciation of Joseph would have gone to Jerusalem and would have already have known from the, pre, uh, from the priest Zechariah about the unexpected pregnancy of his wife, Elizabeth, a relative of Mary since she was old um, she was old to have children, such important news would not be kept silent. Since Mary, at the time of the Annunciation, did not know Elizabeth's pregnancy, it is necessary to infer that no pilgrimage had taken place at least five months before that moment. Since Elizabeth was already in the six-month pregnancy, if, for example, three months before the Annunciation, there had been a pilgrimage, Zachariah and Joseph would have already met in Jerusalem. And on the on their return to Nazareth, Mary would have already been informed of the pregnancy of her elderly relative. And at the time of the Annunciation, however, Mary knew nothing. At least this was what seems to emerge from the Luke Saint Luke Gospel story, following the news of the angel. And because Elizabeth's pregnancy seems to be completely unexpected for Mary, what does this tell us? At all this simple, all this implies that the Annunciation should have happened at least five months after a pilgrimage feast, since the inter intervals between Passover and Pentecost, and between the latter and the uh, and the feast of the Tabernacles, are less than five months. It follows that the period in which the, to place the Annunciation is the period between the feast of the Tabernacles and the Passover and that the angel's visit to Mary must necessarily fall very close and, ju uh, and just before Passover. The Jewish Passover began the, began the liturgical year and fell in the first full moon of spring. Normally, at the end of March, beginning April, we we would uh, we add the nine months of the duration of pregnancy. We arrive at the end of December, the beginning of January. Consequently, the nativity could actually have taken place during the period during during the period of year. Hand, um, hold on, sorry, something popped up on the screen. Okay, so it says here. Let me read it again. All this implies the denunciation should have happened at least five months after a pilgrimage feast, since the intervals between Passover and Pentecost and between the latter and the Feast of Tabernacles are less than five months. It follows that the period in which to place the denunciation is the period between the Feast of Tabernacles and Passover, and the angel's visit to Mary must necessarily fall very close and just just before Passover. The Jewish Passover began the liturgical year and fell in the first full moon of spring, normally at the end of March, being April, March, beginning of April. If we add the nine months of the duration of a pregnancy, we arrive at the end of December, the beginning of January. Consequently, the nativity could actually have taken place during the during the period year handed down through the centuries by the tradition of the church. Uh, and of the feast of the West and, and of the East. All right, so he's getting it around the same time. Given this historical background to the nativity, how did you ascertain the exact year of Jesus' birth? Regarding the year, uh, the year of Jesus' birth, there is a long patristic tradition 
that covers the tour that uh, coverages towards the conventional dating of the beginning of the Christ, of Christian era. However, since E. Shura, uh, however, uh, Professor E. Shura studies the end of the 1800s, the opinion of many historians has changed. In fact, the Gospels, Matthew chapter two verse one, tells us about the Herod the Great's, the so-called massacre of the innocent carried out in an attempt to suppress the newborn Jesus. Herod, therefore, had to be had to be still alive in the year in which Jesus was born. According to historians Josephus Felvus, Herod the Great died after an eclipse of the moon that was visible from Jerusalem. Astronomy therefore becomes becomes useful to date his death and consequently the year of Jesus' birth. Professor Schurer who was not an astronomer searching the astronomical uh, almanacs of this time, found an eclipse of the moon visible from Jerusalem in March 4 BC. From this astronomical date and other historical considerations, sure deduced that the date of Herod's death in 4 BC, since the, the calculations of the beginning of the Christian era are made about 14 centuries ago by Dionysus, Exgius, uh, um, I guess he was a monk, I remember his name, and has been questioned. And today it is believed that the birth of Jesus should take place at least in 5 BC. However, an accurate astronomical analysis of the possible lunar eclipse associates with the death of Herod the Great, not possible thanks to the studies of astronomers. Uh, B. E. Schaefer and more detailed descriptions of the physical mechanisms of the time of the limit, the visibility of the naked eye of such astronomical phenomena shows that the eclipse of 4 BC would have to, would have had a very low probability of being noticed by any observers. At the end of the 1800s, when Schurer conducted his research, it was not known that a partial eclipse such as that of 4 BC would not be visible to the naked eye. The visibility of the naked eye of the lunar eclipse of 4 BC was demonstrated only in the 1990s. Unfortunately, okay, hold on. Unfortunately, contemporary historians will have, while having great access than, uh, than their past colleagues to the, the discoveries of other disciplines, especially scientific ones, do not always take advantage of these studies. In this case, astronomical ones and remain in anchored to, into research results dating back more than a century and which today could even be considered outdated. Ultimately, based on the most accurate analysis possible today of the, of the visibility of the naked eye of the lunar eclipse, the, the search for one of its really visible in Judea 2,000 years ago placed in relation to other chronological and historical elements de deducted from the writings of Josephus Philbus and Roman historians leads to a single possible solution, namely dating of the death of Herod the Great occurring in A.D. 2-3, to three, the year 2 and 3, in, straight into the, first, uh, the beginning of the Christian era, compatible with the conventional beginnings of the, of the Christian era. The nativity occurred and the uh, at the end of the year one BC. Okay, so it's interesting. Uh, Edward Penton is the one who wrote this article. 
Um, basically, I think scholars are starting to come around. Um, they're starting to come around because there's been a lot of questions whether how true, uh, because people have been saying that there was like, for example, they argue over the census, they argue over the dating of Herod. But the fact is, Luke makes it quite clear. If you notice, Luke mentions the angel Gabriel came to Mary in the sixth month. He says the sixth month. He doesn't even name the month, but he says the sixth month. So he's referring to the sixth month of the Jewish calendar. He's not saying the sixth month of the Christian calendar because there was no Christian calendar. So he's saying in the sixth month. And then he mentions the Passover. So he's quite clear of the dates of what's going on. If that's true, then we have to say that this article is correct, that he's that he's right about what he's saying. And if there was a lunar eclipse, then there's a pop, then we, we can say that we got the right date. That means that the modernist scholars don't know what they're talking about. There's always a hostility towards the Christian faith. And those guys do not make any... They, 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 their their writings goes always in a heap. It's not people of devotion, people of faith don't care what they say. There's tons and tons of authors. They're going to constantly write. They got to keep in business. They got to put up these essays, these theses, and all these other things that they that that all scholars uh, who need to stay in business because if they if everything is grounded and figured out, there's no business for them. I mean, there's hardly any business for them now. Who cares about the Jesus seminar, right? Who cares about what all these other scholars say? They're constantly shedding shedding doubt on the Christian faith. Who wants to buy the book afterward if you're telling me I don't need to believe anymore? Anyway, we're going to end it here. And I'm really happy that we had a chance to do this. Uh, let's end it with an Our Father, okay? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and forever. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now at the hour of our death. Amen. All right. I hope um, I hope all this is helpful. The point is, our faith is based on the incarnation. We have to believe. We have to believe in the real presence, and we have to believe in the incarnation. We need all this. I try the best I can to do them. I'm not a scholar. I'm just like you you know, a regular person who wants to live the Catholic faith. And I want to share it with other people the best way I can. And I think that once we put all these two articles together, if you go to a Catholic registrar, look up Edward Penton's um, interview here. Um, it's from December 9th, 2020. It's when was Jesus born? Uh, an Italian researcher. And then the other one is, you can look it up as well. Uh, let me see here. Here, let me see. Okay, no, this is the wrong one here. Hold on. It's the other article, which is, I know it should be in the beginning. Sorry about this. 
All right, here it is. This is the article again from the Catholic Registrar. This one is from 2018 by Dave Armstrong, December 18th, 2018. This one I liked a little bit more than the, than the one by Edward Penton, but the other one from Edward Penton is, is, is a little bit more looking to secular history because of Herod's uh, time of Herod's death. You got to remember, News doesn't travel fast back then. I mean, it traveled whatever they believed to travel fast. But the fact remains is, is that we know. I think this one was more um, in line, wrapped around, I think, the liturgical calendar of Zachariah's priesthood. And I think that's more important. So anyway, look up these articles. They're great. And I'm going to try to um, do my own little research exactly. Uh, try to put it together, let's say, a very interesting essay. I'm going to try to put it together and try to line it up and try to learn a little bit more about the Jewish calendar and about the um, the priesthood of Zechariah, their liturgical calendar. So hopefully we can... Maybe I can do something that can really be helpful because I really want to narrow it down and, I, and I'm going to try to look at the opposition because I think obviously when you do something like this, you got to look at the opposition a little bit. So I'm going to try to save these articles as much as I can and look into uh, what scholars say. So anyway, God bless and I'll be back again soon with another podcast.